worship and I adore your name. I worship and adore you. I just want to tell you. Just want to tell you. Lord, I love you more than Turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. We are in a new series, Women Who Help to Expand God's Diverse Kingdom. Women who helped to expand God's diverse kingdom. And our focus today is rediscovering covering. Rediscovering covering. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11 through 15 reads as follows. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission. And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman, being deceived, fell into transgression. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self control. Let's pray together. Father, whenever the word is open and the word is read, you are speaking. For you speak to us not only through creation, but you speak to us not only through the prophets and the apostles and of course through your son, but you speak to us also through the word of God, the scriptures. And so, Lord, we know you're going to speak today. And you'll speak through these lips of clay. But, Father God, it's my prayer that you would not only speak, but that you would also teach today. That you would break things down for us today. That you would explain things today. That you would open up our minds to behold great things from your word today. That you would teach us. Lord, sometimes we think we know more than what we actually know. But we're still in process of learning. So Rabbi Jesus, teach us. We have ears to hear what you want to say to this church for such a time as this as you are moving us towards expansion we love you and we bless you in Jesus name amen 1st Timothy chapter 2 
verses 11 through 15. And at first glance, at first glance, on surface level, these verses that I just read in your hearing, they appear to be prohibitive. Prohibitive and, and even chauvinistic, if we're really honest. Maybe even for some, oppressive. They appear to be prohibitive of what a woman cannot do. But I want to let you know that, yeah, there are some prohibitions here. But this passage is more prescriptive than it is prohibitive. Did you hear what I just said? It, it, it's more prescriptive than it is prohibitive. You see, a prescription, everybody know what a prescription is. It, it's an order written by a licensed medical practitioner for a patient to get a drug from a pharmacist that can only be attained with proper authorization. That's a prescription. It's a written order by a licensed medical practitioner that's given to a patient that is then taken to a pharmacy so that that person can attain the drugs because of the proper authorization. Now, some prescriptions are standard prescriptions. Is there a doctor in the house? Am, am I, am I kind of on the right page? I Google, so I have to be straight on this. <laughs> some prescriptions are standard or stock drugs. That is antibiotics, things like that. And virtually anyone with similar symptoms can take a standard drug or a stock drug. However, other prescriptions are uniquely customized, uniquely individualized, and uniquely personalized for a specific person who has a specific illness. And so again, this is something unique, something special after a diagnosis from a medical professional. So taking a prescription that is not prescribed for you by a licensed medical professional, something that was prescribed, listen to this, for someone else to fit their need, what they're going through, their body type, their blood type, all those things that are taken into account when a prescription is given. That if someone takes a prescription that does not belong to them or was made for them, it can put a person at risk. At risk for addiction, at risk for overdose, at risk for an increased illness because you're trying to take somebody else's medication and so it may cause your illness to get worse. You're at risk for seizures if you take someone else's medication. You're at risk for heart issues, allergic reactions, organ damage, stroke, coma, and even death. That's why they put your name on the bottle because that prescription is for you and not for someone else. Well, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 through 15 is a specific prescription. And it's given by Dr. Paul specifically to Timothy. 
to treat specific illnesses in the church at Ephesus in the first century. If you read 1 Timothy without saying that it is a prescription given to a particular leader who has issues in a particular church, you're going to miss it and think that it's all about prohibitions as it is about prescriptions. And although it's a prescription given to a particular group of people, that doesn't mean we can't get truths from it. That doesn't mean we can't get application from it. But let's make sure, though, unless you are a member of the first church of Ephesus, <laughs> let, let, let's be humble when we come to this passage. You see, to interpret this passage soundly, we must consider its cultural context. To interpret this passage soundly, we must consider its immediate biblical context. What was going on in chapter 2? Not only that, what was going on in the book or the letter of 1 Timothy that Paul wrote to Timothy? So I need to understand context, but not only the cultural context, the immediate context, I need to understand the whole context of Scripture because Scripture will not interpret Scripture. So this will keep me from taking a verse out of context to make it a proof text to start a whole new set because that's what I want to do. So I must interpret scripture based on the culture and the times. I can't divorce a text from its culture and make it mean something in this century that didn't mean something in the first century in which it was written. So I have to do homework. I have to study, jump into that culture as best as I can, do the background, find out what was going on, get the cultural context, the immediate context of the passage, the book, the letter, and then the broader context of Scripture. Paul calls this the whole counsel of God. And in Acts chapter 20, I find this very interesting that he says that when he was with the church at Ephesus for three years, uh, that he did not fail to teach them the whole counsel of the word of God. Acts chapter 20, I believe, verse, 20, verse 27. And so when we're interpreting Scripture, What's the cultural context? Uh, what's the immediate biblical context? And then what's the broader context of the word of God? That's how I arrive at a sound interpretation of scripture. You see, when this passage of 1 Timothy chapter 2 is not interpreted soundly, it leads to some unsound conclusions about women. When it's not interpreted soundly, people come to conclusions about women. It leads people to think of the fact that women are inferior to men on first glance of this passage. It, it will cause you to think that women are inferior to men. It will also lead to the justified subjugation of women. Subjugation means that you're bringing women under the domination and the control of men. Reading this passage unsoundly will lead to the shaming of women. It will lead to the blaming of women, even the silencing and the muting of women's voices in the church. And it will lead to the relegating of women to a lower class status. All of this in the church. 
We're not even talking about the culture. We're talking about in the church. When this passage is read solely on face value, and it is devoid of understanding the cultural context, uh, understanding the immediate biblical context, and the broader biblical context, you read this thing, you're going to oppress women in your church, and you'll do it all in the name of Jesus. And it has been done. History has proven that. But when this passage is not interpreted soundly, it also leads to some unsound conclusions about men. Not only will you have some unsound conclusions about women, but you'll have some unsound conclusions about men. Pastor, what is that? Well, it will lead to the superiority of men. It'll lead to the supremacy and the primacy of men. Reading this passage unsoundly will lead to the elevation of men. It will lead to men having the lone voice in the church. It will lead to the dominance of men. And it will also lead to men being unaccountable. It will lead to men being abusive in church. Verbally abusive, mentally abusive, sexually abusive, physically abusive, emotionally abusive, and it will lead to men being authoritarians in the church. And there are some pastors who will think that they are kings in churches and that people, especially the women in the church, are to do their bidding. Well, in order to grasp a sound interpretation of the text, we have to do what good Bible students do, and that is we must ask questions of the text. That's how we learn, by asking questions. We don't come to the text assuming we already know the answers. We have to ask questions of the text. You see, when you're doing exegesis or Bible interpretation, there is the observation portion of it, where you're reading the Bible and you're asking questions of the Bible. Then there's the interpretation part of it, where you are interpreting it based on your reading as you're uh, interpreting Scripture with Scripture. And then there's the application part, where you're applying what you have observed and what you are interpreting. Now you're putting it into practice. So as we interpret Scripture, we have to ask questions as we observe the text. Because if you look at it on face value, you can make the Bible say all kinds of things it was not saying from the intended meaning of the writer, the author. So what's some questions we should ask of this? Well, why mention a woman being in silence in verses 11 and 12? Why mention a woman learning in all submission in verse 11? Why mention a woman not being able to teach or to have authority over a man in verse 12? Why mention Adam was formed first and then Eve in verse 11, verse 13 rather? Why mention the woman was deceived in verse 14? What's up with that? Why mention the woman fell into transgression in verse 14? And why mention a woman being saved in childbearing in verse 15? Again, on face value, this thing seems to be very derogatory against women. But if I do some digging into the culture, if I do some digging into the immediate context of the chapter and the book itself, and if I look at the whole counsel of God, I can walk away with a sound interpretation of this passage. Well, to help gain understanding of this text, I had to call on a specialist. I had to call on a specialist. I had to call on Dr. Sandra Glan to help me out. 
Because, you know, sometimes when you're going through something, you got to call on a specialist. So I called on this specialist. Dr. Glahn is a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary, one of the most conservative evangelical seminaries in the country. And her specialty is first century backgrounds related to women, culture, and the arts. She's a specialist in that. And Dr. Glahn has authored or edited more than 20 books. So, man, I, I had to get some help reading the passage. And that's another part of exegesis, going to get commentaries. After you've asked the Holy Spirit, show me what the text means. Let me interpret Scripture with Scripture. But let me also read the works of people who have the gift of knowledge, the gift of wisdom, the gift of teaching. Let me lead, read what God is giving them. People have done the research in ways that I can't do the research, that it's just above my pay grade. And so Dr. Glahn is one of those I had to go to. But before I move on, let me ask a question. Uh, how many theology books do you have that are written by women? How many theology books do you have that are written by non-white men? So we've got to be careful, right? We've got to expand our library. Because I believe theology is learned best in the midst of community as opposed to one person trying to go up to the mountain like they're Moses and come down with a word of what it's supposed to mean. Yeah, we can spend time with God and he can speak to us. True. But when we listen to each other, the Holy Spirit teaches other folks the word and not just the pastor or the professors. And so we learn perspectives and we learn vantage points that we would normally not get because we're not in community. And sometimes community is your library. Let me read this author, and, and, and you can read an author and learn how to eat the meat and spit out the bones. Uh, I, I like that part. I don't know about that because I think it goes against this. Oh, that's a good point there. So, so reading, listening, learning from others. So let's seek to answer these questions. And in order to do that, we have to understand the cultural significance of the cult of Artemis. I told you that in order to really learn, man, we have to have the cultural context. I said last week that if you haven't even looked at the cultural context, don't you dare come to me trying to tell me what you believe this passage says. If you don't know anything about Artemis or Diana, uh, her Roman counterpart name, if, you, if you're not talking to me about that and what's mentioned in Acts chapter 19, but you just want to come and give a surface reading and a surface interpretation of 1 Timothy chapter 2, I'm going to encourage you to dig a little bit deeper as an expositor of Scripture. So we got to understand some of the cultural significance of this cult. You see, we said last week she was a Greek goddess, Zeus's daughter, who was born to him from an adulterous affair with another Greek goddess. And she came to earth as the goddess of the hunt. She's the goddess of wild animals, chastity or virginity. She's the goddess of childbirth or she's a midwife. And so therefore, in that culture, when Paul is writing to Timothy and what he experienced in Ephesus for three years, the cult of Artemis was very prevalent in that day and time. And so women gravitated to Artemis. And when women were going through childbirth because of uh, death and childbearing during that time, they would cry out to Artemis for deliverance through childbirth. 
And if they died in childbirth, they believed that Artemis could allow you not to feel pain in childbirth. Pastor Chris, where'd you learn all this? From reading my sister, Dr. Glock, who did all of this research. She pulled up all of these uh, old ancient writings and all this stuff like, man, I wouldn't have done all that homework, but I'll read and copy off her homework. And that's what I'm doing today. I learned some stuff reading this sister here. And this goddess, Artemis, um, she was the god of young women. She was also known to be wrathful and vindictive. In other words, don't get on her wrong side. And her followers, the women, the Amazons who followed her, were given permission to act like wild animals, namely wild bears. And according to Acts chapter 19, Artemis was worshipped in Ephesus. Oh, boy. Okay, Pastor. Okay. What's the big deal? Again, if you don't understand that, you'll never get a sound understanding of 1 Timothy chapter 2. And you'll make it say something that Paul never intended it for it to say. Okay, I'm not coming through. I'm not coming through. Let me bring it this way to you. The cult of Artemis was major. People were making a lot of money off of her, selling shrines because her shrine would end up becoming one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. So this woman, man, woo, so people are making some money off of her. If you criticized her, they could start a riot in the city, which is what they did, because Paul was leading people to Jesus, and they were leaving Artemis to come to Christ. And so that caused people to lose their money, and when people's money get funny and their change gets strange, watch out. You say, Pastor, I don't get it. Okay. There's a thing in our culture today called the beehive. Some of y'all know what that is. Others of y'all are thinking, it's out of season. What are you talking about? <laughs> Beehives. No, there's a beehive for the queen bee, Beyonce. Beyonce has followers, and her followers, women, are part of this group called the beehive. So if you speak anything negatively against Beyonce, then this culture, what's it called when they attack the culture? Culture, cancel culture. They will come after the celebrity, the person, in order to cancel the culture because they had the audacity to say something against the Queen Bee, Beyonce. You say, Pastor, I still don't get it. Well, there are people in this room right now. Jesus is right here and Beyonce is right there. And if you begin to question anything about Beyonce as far as some of the things that appear to look demonic, things that look addictive and countercultural to the kingdom of God, you might get attacked and stung by the beehive. So I'm just saying that, and think about multiplying the beehive a hundred times over, and that's what you have with the cult of Artemis. So it was a strong grip in the then known world. So let's answer these questions with that in mind. Well, why mention a woman being in silence in verse 11 and 12? Why, why mention that, Paul? Well, apparently women were under the influence of Artemis as they were coming into the church, and therefore they were disruptive in worship services. They're being loud. They're being disrespectful. And so he has to say, be silent, because that's not the way of Artemis. But in God's house, you cannot be disruptive up in here. So the being silenced had to do with that situation. 
Not every woman in every church in every era being silent in church. But, but, but it's just not the women that had a problem in the church at Ephesus. Men had a problem there too. Pastor, what was it? Well, around verse 8, Paul says, I want men to pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Men were disrupting the church services too because of being angry and fighting with each other. And Paul is like, I hope y'all can stop being wrathful and vengeful against each other long enough because you got your hands up to heaven. Or some of y'all are up in here doubting the gospel and you're running around here with all this Greek uh, uh, thinking, higher existentialism and all this stuff. And you're being disruptive because you're doubting the gospel. You're fighting with other people. Oh, there was some mess going on in the women and there was some mess going on in the men. I pastored the only church that has ever been existed that they no problem with men in here and ain't no problem with women in here. <laughs> I just lied. Lord, forgive me. These folk got a lot of problems in Strong Tower. Secondly, why mention a woman learning in all submission? Well, Artemis was not married, the goddess, and she did not submit to any man, including her father, Zeus. So if you are a disciple of Artemis and you're coming into the church, you had problems, listen to this, submitting to legitimate authority. But Paul, the apostle, is telling Young, sometimes fragile Timothy, you got to go in here and speak the word, come against this spirit that is in this community and is trying to come in this church, and you got to let them know you must be submissive in this house. Uh, ain't going to be no trouble up in this house. Ain't going to be no moving the furniture because y'all tripping up in here. No, you're going to respect God's house. What if Strong Tower? Let me ask you a question. Again, prescription. This was a prescription for that church. What if Strong Tower... God planted us into a gang-infested neighborhood. And we're reaching Jerusalem. And let's just say we're ministering to bloods, a gang that's in that neighborhood. A lot of churches do this. God, God didn't put us in that neighborhood. But if he did, and we're outreaching, and the men, we're going out reaching these bloods, these gang members. We will give them a prescription, say, we want you to come to church. But you got to leave that Uzi, that Glock, that nine. You can't come up in here with that. So that's a prescription because of a situation that we're dealing with. And, and, and so that's what Paul was doing. He's given a prescription. And, and by the way, you don't want to come up in here armed anyway because I got folk everywhere. Anyway, you don't want to play up in here. You don't want to play up in here. Uh, thirdly, why mention a woman not being able to teach or to have authority over a man? Well, we covered this last week. Based on the overall context of the Bible, women can teach. So again, if you just read that on face value, it says, I do not permit a woman to teach. He's contradicting other places where he told women to teach and where women did teach. So again, if you have an overly literal approach to the scripture and not being thoughtfully objective, you'll make it say what you want it to say in order to uh, uh, support your chauvinistic tendencies and traditions. So, 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 so he's saying, I don't want women to teach with the purpose of trying to take authority over a man. We said last week, it was not the act of teaching that Paul had an issue with. It was the attitude of the teacher. So that's what he was prohibiting in that moment. Ah, oh, man. Oh, nothing like some good cultural understanding to get a better understanding of scripture. Number four, why mention Adam 
was formed first and then Eve. What's that all about? Well, in Ephesus, emphasis was placed on Artemis because she was born first and then her brother Apollos was born. She, she, she's a twin. And when she was born, my wife and I were talking about this, she must have came out as a full-grown adult because <laughs> she came out and then helped her mother, the mistress of her daddy, then give birth as a midwife for her brother. That's Greek mythology, right? Everybody come out with muscles and blonde hair and all that stuff. And so, so she was worshipped as a midwife. But it does state in their culture that she was born first. And so this was to establish primacy of women over men because of Artemis. But Paul said, I know what the culture is saying, but here's what the Bible says. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. We know in chapter 21, in the mind of God, he made them male and female. They're made in the image of God. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. But when we get into chapter 2, God manifested what was in his mind in different ways. He brought forth the man first and formed him from the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Man became a living soul. Man then realized he was by himself because there was no one there to pair up with him. There wasn't a suitable helper. God put him to sleep and from his rib made a woman, brought the woman to him. So Adam was formed first, then Eve. But don't skip chapter one where God says, I'm blessing both of y'all and I'm telling both of y'all to have dominion over the earth. We missed that. Because we hang on to this saying, well, you know, Adam was formed first. And so men look at that to say that we are above women because we came before women. Mm -mm -mm. Number five, why mention the woman was deceived in verse 14. Well, within the call of Artemis, she made no mistakes. She was too wise to be beguiled. But Paul said, let me bring this word out again, because y'all women are thinking too highly of yourself. Here's the truth. Eve was deceived by the serpent and his cunning. But again, as we look at the whole counsel of God, don't throw stones at women saying women were deceived. Adam ate knowingly. Adam disobeyed knowingly. Paul just didn't write that part in 1 Timothy because his emphasis was on dealing with the cult of Artemis. So, you know, men will read this and think, Women do not have the ability within them to lead because they are easily deceived by the devil. Man, if you don't go somewhere with that crackerjack theology. Mm -mm. Adam knew what he was doing because the brother was standing by. He was watching it go down. Yeah, Eve stepped out because the enemy said, let me frustrate. I'm getting ahead of myself. The covering, the order in the home. You see, there's nothing wrong with healthy hierarchy. I'll I, I try to hit that a little bit later. Adam was formed first. Why? To establish accountability before God. God gave him the word in chapter 2 of Genesis. And it was his responsibility to give the word to his wife. And to some degree he did because she's out there talking with the devil. But he was the leader. He was the head, if you will, of his wife. Brother Chris Williams said last night that sometimes as men, we're not acting like heads like Jesus who serves the body, who dies for the body, who gives ourselves for the body. No, we act more like headaches than heads. 
That's what Chris said. Chris, thank you for letting me use that, man. I told him I was going to use it last night, the fire pit. And so Paul is like, man, I got to teach the church well here. So why mention she fell into transgression? Because with the cult of Artemis, she is romanticized as being flawless. But the Bible says women fell into transgression and men did too. Well, number seven, why mention a woman being saved in childbearing, Paul? I thought women were saved by the blood of Jesus. Yes, they are. So what's the cultural context? Again, Artemis was the goddess who saved women in childbearing. And if they had a birth that would cause them to to die, like we even read in the Old Testament when the mother of Benjamin, I believe it was Rebecca, I'm not sure, or Rachel, one of those R's, uh, she died giving birth to Benjamin. So women died in childbirth then, women die in childbirth now. And so uh, Artemis, protect me in childbirth. And if I have to die, make it painless. So people... They, they loved this woman. They cried out to this woman. They were believing a lie. And so Paul has to let them know that it's Jesus who's your savior. Because earlier in uh, chapter 2, again, I'm staying in the immediate context, he said there is only one God and one mediator between God and men, and that is the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for our sins. He's the savior, and if he can save your soul, he can save your life. He can carry you through, if, even if you should happen to die in childbirth. That Jesus is the one we look to, not Artemis. So, let me ask you this. If you just got saved and came to Christ from worshiping Artemis, and Paul says, or the Bible says in Acts 19, when they came to Christ, they burned all their scrolls, all the magic stuff, all the demonic stuff, and they're coming to Jesus. Do you think they were transformed overnight as soon as they came to Christ and stepped foot in somebody's house church? No. Just like you, it's a process. There's still baggage. Um, We still have on us the scent and the ways of the world. We're being transformed by the renewing of our mind. And so, therefore, I would imagine that there were some women who came to Jesus legitimately, but when they were giving birth, they probably had an amulet in their hand just kind of holding on to it just in case, like some of y'all look at the zodiac sign, like some of y'all going to have a rabbit's foot or a lucky clover. Uh, so, so, so don't be tripping out here. Don't be tripping out here. Asking God to bless as you go play the lottery at the gas station. That, that she's holding on. Not full trust in Jesus. She hadn't arrived yet. So Timothy has to teach and read Paul's letter and say, you will be safe through childbearing. Sister, just continue in faith, in love, and on and on and on. That's how we interpret this soundly. A sound interpretation of 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 through 15 will always consider the cultural context, the immediate biblical context, and the overall biblical context. All right, Pastor, as you close, yeah, I'm closing. What does this have to do with rediscovering covering? That was your title, man. What what does this have to do with rediscovering covering? Well, when Paul mentioned Adam and Eve, the importance of proper covering is being implied to a culture that disrespects proper covering. So he's got to teach folks. and, 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 And there's some people who've got to discover covering for the first time. And then there's some people who need to rediscover covering again. 
because we're in, a, in an age where because men have been patriarchal and abusive towards women, they have used positions of authority in systems and institutions to abuse women, even in the church, that there are some now who say, I'm throwing out all kinds of order and hierarchy, and I'm operating without any kind of, mm, no, 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 two wrongs don't make it right. Because there are some people who throw all of that out and they got a problem with any man who leads, even when that man is leading legitimately and properly. So the church has to be that place where truth is taught and grace and balance are lived out. Because when we rediscover covering in the home, everyone flourishes, especially the woman. Uh-huh. We got to rediscover covering. We, we don't throw covering out because people abuse covering. No, no, no. When we rediscover it from God's vantage point, the kingdom vantage point, man, there's flourishing that happens. Psalm 128, verses 1 through 3. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. Anybody fear the Lord here? That means we respect God. We walk in his ways. Verse 2, when you eat the labor of your hands, which he gives you the ability to do, you shall be happy and it shall be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the very heart of your house. Your children like olive plants all around your table. So when you're walking with God, there are certain things that are going to walk with you. Goodness and mercy are going to pursue you all the days of your life. Grace is going to be on your life because you're talking to the author of grace. And people connected to the leader of a home. Adam was formed first. Ephesians 5, the husband is the head of the wife. Doesn't mean dominating, it means serving and having responsibility before God. Because when they fell in the garden, God didn't come and say, Adam and Eve, where are you? He said, Adam, where are you? I established you, I brought you out first to establish order. When things went wrong, I'm coming to you. I'm coming to Eve in a minute because she's also responsible for her actions, but you're responsible for the family. Headship, I'm coming to you first. And so when we look at scripture here, when the man is fearing God, walking with God, it blesses everybody in the house, especially the wife. When's the last time your wife been like a fruitful vine? And I heard one pastor say, when a vine is fruitful, it climbs and it clings. You know, she just, she just all over you, you know. Oh, my God. When we rediscover covering in the church, in the church. Everyone flourishes in the church, especially the women. God said, I will bless you from Zion all the days of your life. Zion is the place where the people of God meet. There's a blessing in the house of God on the people of God. Whenever God pours out the anointing, Psalm 133, it it starts on the head and comes down to the rest of the body. Aaron's robe and beard, but it's poured, the anointing is poured on the head. Who's the head of the church? Jesus. He pours out the Holy Spirit and he runs, he soothes, he covers, he heals. God always pours from the head down. And in the home, the leader of the home. And what if you have a home where you don't have a man? You still got God. God is your ultimate covering, whether you got a man or not. And the oil flows in the home. And the oil flows in the church. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 3 and verse 5. Paul says, but I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. The head of woman is man. And the head of Christ is God. Mm, I don't like that. Mm, I don't like that. Ain't no man in my head. See? See? Right there. Right there. 
But I'm also sensitive that you're suspicious of legitimate servant leadership because you've been hurt by illegitimate leadership. So we're sensitive to that. But we're not going to allow your pain to redefine kingdom order. Kingdom order is still there. And God wants to heal us in the midst of proper kingdom order and covering. And so the head of Christ is God. Now, now, if I'm not mistaken and I know my Bible, God, the Father, and Jesus are equal. And so since they're equal and God, the Father, is the head of Jesus, wow, equal but order in the Godhead. In the home, the husband and wife are equal in all matters pertaining to humanity and, and, and redemption. But the husband is the head of the wife. Huh. Ah, I'm looking at the Godhead to learn. And then the, the man is the head of the woman. Ah, order. So that when the oil flows. And then he goes on to say, because we're in church, the Corinthian church, but every woman who prays or prophesies. So now she's free to flourish in her gifting in the church. Now, later in 1 Corinthians, he's going to talk about women needing to keep silent, chapter 14. But in chapter 11, women can pray and prophesy. Paul, which one is it? It's both. Women can pray and prophesy because watch this in chapter 14. He says the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. So, so again, you got to be in order. You got to be underneath. People want to be over without being under. If you're really operating under the Holy Spirit, you will be submissive to proper leadership. If you're in your flesh, you're going to be like the devil and rebel against proper right leadership and try to usurp. And that's just not women. Have mercy. I think the issue in 1 Corinthians 14 was people were coming to church and everybody had a song, everybody had a hymn, and everybody trying to speak in tongues, trying to rival, again, the temple goddesses out in the world. And Paul is saying, a prescription to that church, I need y'all... To, to, to be silent up in here because that, that creates confusion. God ain't the author of confusion. Boom. Sound interpretation. So when a woman is under that man, okay, okay. Here's a case study. Here's a case study. Aquila and Priscilla. Acts 18, verse 24 through 26. NIV, meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. Wait a minute, a Jewish dude with a Greek name coming from Africa. Alexandria's in Egypt. I love that. I love that. Man, a, a black dude who's Jewish with a Greek name. He was a learned man. Go ahead, brother, with a thorough knowledge of the scripture. Go ahead, preach, Apollos. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor. You know, the brothers like to put a little gravy when they preach. And he taught about Jesus accurately, though he only knew the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue when Priscilla and Aquila heard him. They invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. Women can't teach, women can't talk. Amen. Aquila and Priscilla. And, and do you notice here, her name is mentioned before her husband. That found in scripture about seven times. And the majority of the times that they are mentioned, they're always mentioned together, her name is mentioned first more times than his name is mentioned first. And sometimes that means that she may have been the more outspoken one in the relationship or she had the, the gift of teaching in a way that maybe her husband didn't have. 
Or, again, and I'm going to say it in a minute, she was free to operate in her gift, but she knew she was covered. She was covered by her husband. She was covered by her pastor. Who's her pastor? Paul. She was covered by Jesus, and she was covered by God. A woman can flourish when she's under right covering. But it doesn't end there. Romans 16, verse 3 through 5, Paul said, greet Priscilla and Aquila. There it is again. My fellow workers in Christ Jesus. Now, these folks were tent makers, just like Paul. So when Paul came into Ephesus, he stayed and lived with them because they all had the same uh, uh, um, mode of work. So this woman, man, she's a worker out here, man, making tents with the brothers. It goes on to say in Romans 16 that they risked their own necks for Paul's life. To whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles likewise greet the church that is in their house. It's a church in the house of Priscilla and Aquila. The same house they took Apollos into to teach him the gospel. So you mean to tell me that when it's time for them to have church in their house, Priscilla got to be quiet in her own house. <laughs> I almost said, Negro, please. I almost said, I, I said, don't say that. Don't say that. Don't say that. You expect a woman with a gift of teaching, a gift of leading, who teaches alongside of her husband to now be silent in her own house? That's some caveman Fred Flintstone kind of mess right there. Mm -mm. No, no, man. No, we ain't having that. So in conclusion, folks. When women are under a Christ-like covering in the home and in the church, they will flourish in the use of their gifts. Priscilla is a great example of this, being under the covering of God, under the covering of Jesus, under the covering of her husband Aquila, and under the covering of Apostle Paul, who was her pastor. She was free to use her oratorical gifts and to shepherd people like Apollos under her care. Well, this is expansion time for the church. And the three women that we will examine and ordain, Lord willing, on Wednesday, December 13th, right here in our fellowship hall. These women, Dr. Jewel, Felicia, Dorena, we will examine them and ordain them. Again, this is not unprecedented for Strong Tower. We've done this before. But we're expanding and moving forward where as we ordain them as ministers of the gospel, we will also install them as associate pastors in Strong Tower Bible Church. And we're going to do that on watch night service, December 31st. Before we roll into the new year, we're installing. We're laying hands on our deacons, our deaconesses going forward into a new season. We're also going to have a church here with us. Multiple churches are going to be here that night. And one of those churches we're going to lay hands on as they go out into Franklin to be Strong Tower Franklin. So a lot is going on. We're expanding. And I know that when we expand, everybody's not supposed to go with us. And that's fine. It's okay. You can't expand with everybody. But for the majority of us, we're ready 
And each one of these women, they did not come to me asking me, can I be ordained as a minister? Can I be a pastor? Not one of them came to me. This was not their idea. This was my idea. As the overseer of this house, I'm looking at their work. I'm looking at their hearts. I'm looking at their fruit. I'm looking at their lives. And I'm like, man, they are teaching well. They are leading well. They are shepherding well. How come we don't make them pastors? Tradition say you can't do that, pastor. Ah, no, we're not bound by tradition. So we're going to lay hands on women that God has already put his hands on, and we're going to commission them in this house. Because watch this, watch this, watch this. They are free to flourish and operate in healthy hierarchy, being under the right covering first of God who has gifted them and called them and empowered them. And then under Jesus Christ, their Savior. Then under their husbands. Oh, they've got good men. Good men. I, I happen to be married to one of them, so I guess I'm a good man too. And, 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 and then they're under their senior pastor. They're not stepping out on their own. They're under covering. And just like Paul was Priscilla's pastor, and she was able to go freely because she's covered. Each one of these ladies are under God, Jesus, their husbands, and me. They're not trying to usurp their husbands. They're not trying to usurp the church. They're under authority. And watch them flourish in a way we've never seen it done before in this house. Oh, that's a weak applause. That's a weak applause. We can do better than that. Watch them flourish. So stand with me to your feet. Stand with me to your feet. I'm 11 minutes over. But the future children's pastor, which really, we, we ain't even going with that name. We got another name we're working on because God's extending their territories. And watch this. They just don't minister in their areas. They minister to adults. Felicia ministers to children, but she ministers to adults because people see the grace of God on her life. It's not just for children. That's great. But God's expanding. And even as Isaiah transitions, God has already given us ideas. Somebody's got to be over this area that not only has children and students. We need some help with college ministry. Who can oversee that? Boom. Anyone? Who's going to oversee taking us to the next level on social media? Getting the word out through Strong Tower Bible Church. Who, who? Boom. And this lady right here is just going to keep writing and speaking and going off from this church. And other women in this church, we will ordain you too because you're already doing it. Oh, pastor, what's up? We're expanding God's diverse kingdom and women are part of the expansion all right i'm about to shout so let me pray father god in the name of jesus thank you i pray that your people had ears to hear different doesn't mean wrong different just means different might your people be like the bereans and go study to see whether or not these things i'm saying are in concert with the whole counsel of the word of god I thank you for Deborah in the Old Testament who 
she was not only the judge of Israel, but she was also the prophetess of Israel. Who gave her that position? Father God, you did. And although she was in the position of being over the nation, she still had respect for right male leadership with Barak. And I thank you for our ladies that they can be in authority going forward because they're under your authority. They're under their husband's authority and they're under my authority as their pastor. Lord, help the people in the church who may say, man, this is different, pastor. I don't know. Lord, help them again, to be flexible and to study and to learn. And for people, Lord, who are excited, don't let them gloat, Lord. Don't let them gloat. But there are people who have been waiting for a long time for us to get some revelation in these areas. Thank you for their patience. Lord, bless the house. And now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ever ask or imagine is according to the power, the power, the power, the power that's working in all of us, not just men, not just in clergy, but in all of us. To him be glory, majesty, dominion, and power, both now and forevermore. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. amen. Got to hug at least three people before you leave. Got to hug three people. Have a wonderful day in the Lord. Amen. Thank you for joining us today at Strong Tower Bible Church, where Dr. Chris Williamson is senior pastor. We hope you enjoyed worshiping with us and will join us next Sunday morning right here for our 1030 a.m. service. Be sure to stay informed on upcoming Strong Tower Bible Church events and activities. Download the Strong Tower Bible Church app in the App Store or visit our website at www.strongtowerbiblechurch.com. We pray you have a blessed, wonderful, and safe remainder of the day. And we'll see you next week, same time, right here at the Tower.